Trollodren, Legends and Lore. Episode 9, Endurus. Welcome again to Trollodon Legends and Lore. I'm Chad Corey, and we'll be continuing, as I said in previous episodes, this mini-series talking about some prominent people in the pre-historical timeline of Trollodon, namely even beyond Trollodon, the cosmic timeline, sharing some information about them in a more succinct and summarized fashion, since I don't want to share a whole lot of information in particular at this point in time on everything because some of the stuff I'll be sharing, especially now in these later people here, will be coming up, or if not in immediate books, some books and stuff in the future I have in the works, and I'd rather have that all come out in that format rather than have it kind of prematurely spilling the beans here. But that doesn't mean you're going to get left out with these episodes. I will be sharing as much as I can and giving some more information and insight to these individuals and why they're important for at least the major reasons, sharing with you the overall timeline as we've gone along here and the progression that takes us through the titanic leaders of the mythic past into the development of the ruling gods in the trial drone pantheon but before i get to that let me take a quick side note here and again i thank you for your patience in doing this if you've already heard this if you haven't let me make you aware that this is the release date the release date coming up september 15th for return of the wizard king the first book in the Wizard King trilogy. It is out this month. And yes, I am rather happy. It's been a long time coming to get to this place. Maybe I'll do another episode or share some things online about some of the things and stories that have gone on to get to this place. But I'm very thrilled to be able to get this out there and get into stores and start doing some book tours and book signings and and such. I will encourage you to check the website, chadcorey.com. Go to the events page and you'll see where where I will be showing up what I'll be doing, what times, and so on and so forth. we got kind of a mix on there. If you're more of a library person, if you're indie bookstore place, chain store place, or just want to do stuff online virtually. So we have a variety of options, and I will be looking at doing some stock signings as well at different stores. Primarily the physical locations will be showing up, as you'll see online, will be in the Minneapolis or Minnesota area, excuse me, and into a little bit into Wisconsin. But that's kind of the reach of this first first book tour. I'll see about getting larger beyond that into the book tours that come when we get there, which will be next year. But again, thanks for everyone who's been able to pre-order, who's been able to put the word out there on their websites, just making people aware of it, all the comments and help and, and spreading the word on social media. I do appreciate that. It's been very, very helpful, very appreciative. And I just, I thank you guys for that. It's obviously a very unique year when we tried to launch this, to say the least, when things were beginning to unravel and then reform and then unravel and and take the current reality that we have now. So it's been a very interesting process, like I said earlier, but I'm very thankful that it's reached the end now and I'm able to finally get to the stores and this book is finally going to get into the hands of whoever wants to take advantage of it. And again, it is going to come out in three different formats, which means it's going to be an audio, digital, ebook, and uh, print book, uh, trade paperback. And the publisher's done a really nice job of keeping it very affordable 
in all of the formats. And so if you want to take a look at it, I'd encourage you to do so. Or as I said in previous episodes as well, if this is something that you might be interested in, but might not necessarily want to spend the initial money up front to take advantage of it, I totally understand that too. Maybe a good option for you is to look at the library, check it out that way, and if they don't have it, request that they order it in. And that way it might be an opportunity for you to give it a try and also make it available for others who might not be aware of the podcast, be aware that I exist or whatever, and be a benefit to them as well. So I think that's the last time I'll be pitching Return of the Wizard King. Again, thank you for your patience and uh, letting me do that. And now on to the episode. And we'll be talking about Endurus today. And let me backtrack a little bit with him because he kind of transitions from Omni, like just like Omni kind of transitions from a dome. But with him, he came about at a very, I guess, turbulent time. He, like his father before him, Omni, wanted to make a name for himself. He also wanted to make a name for his generation. Uh, One of the things with Titans is that they kind of had a different cosmetic appearance with each new generation that came about. And they were dead set on making a name for themselves over the previous generation. I guess it was kind of ingrained in them by their fathers. You know, let's let's do something bigger and better than the people that came before us. And in that, in one sense, that's not necessarily bad. But unfortunately, with how things progressed here, you'll see they wanted to do things more and more on a grandiose scale and do things in a more dominant scale. So it wasn't just with you know with Omni's kids, it wasn't just, okay, let's continue to conquer new territory. No, let's conquer whole, you know, solar systems. Let's move on and even conquering the cosmos, because we're just awesome. So they they had a whole different worldview than their father did before them. And they're more of a violent and a dominant person to do so. And that actually played out some to some extent because Omni unfortunately kind of promoted that with his aggressive push towards the end of his reign to take more territory and to control more of the population. And while he was remembered for maybe uniting the the nation or the planet, I guess, since it's a planetary empire, into one global culture and bringing the Titans together as a a truly global and even planetary race as far as conquering the, the moon and other parts of the planets in their solar system, he was also known as a very... I guess, warlike type of person toward the end of his reign because he was just so, you know, focused on conquering and getting new things and acquiring new territory. His his was more, on some levels, learning more about things, more of a scholarly level, but it's also more of a conquest thing. Remember, he wanted to make a name for himself and make a name that was better than his father. His father provided a very tall shadow he had to kind of reach out of because he was such a well-beloved and even some quasi-deified individual even back then. He was just seen as the pinnacle, the perfect ruler. And here you have Omni trying to limb up to that standard. And of course, he was trying to make his own standard. And so there's a lot of chaos and change that took place during the latter portion of his reign. And part of that, that saw some rebellions because obviously as you spread out further and further, we're talking to different planets, it becomes easier for people to rebel and try and take over and have their own ideas and agendas put forward. And that's where you saw kind of the darker side of Omni take root. And he, he, he wanted control. He wanted to keep control and wanted to keep that unified mindset over everything he did. And part of that was also keeping his generation in control rather than letting the next generation come up and rule in aspects or places of power influence after them or with them. And that caused a lot of schisms as well. 
And so finally, after several years of fighting and putting this uproar and clamor behind him, he realized he needed to bring the younger generation in. He needed to do some power delegation. And he thought the best way to do that was with his sons. And he had several of them, which worked really well for him. He was able to put them in positions of leadership, basically make them regents of territories, which not only helped prepare them for future positions of rulership, but satiated most of their desire to rule and control some parts of the empire for themselves. It also gave him a chance to groom his successor, who he was seen as Endurus. Now, Endurus was the eldest son, and tradition has been established now from Adon to Omni that the eldest son would be the one to take the father's place. And because since the Titans were so very long-lived at this point in time, it was highly unlikely that if you know everything worked out well and they lived a decent amount of time, that any of the other kids would be able to take the throne because obviously the next son is going to will it to their son and, and so on and so forth. So basically it was established and a given that it went from father to firstborn son. And the other sons were left to kind of fend for themselves or find a place or a niche in the overall empire for their own benefit. And that's what many of them did, for the most part, fairly successfully up until this point. It was just with these new generations that were coming that were not always so uniform in their approach or consistent in their way of doing things. And that was causing some friction, some challenge. And that's what part of what Omni was trying to do by putting his sons in place. Obviously, he had an eye in endurance. He wanted to put him in a position of trying to groom him because he realized that, hey, you know, I got to get this guy ready because he's going to have a lot on his plate when he takes over. Kind of like what Adon tried to do to him. But just like with Adon, Omni wasn't able to impart a lot of what he wanted initially to his son, especially when it came to the Omnian Scrolls, which we talked about in the last episode. Endurus was definitely set on being his own man, and he definitely was set on conquering everything he could set his eyes on. And that's what he did. Once his father died, he assumed the throne, he assumed the empire, and basically went about inserting himself as the ultimate power for the empire. And his vision was a very vastly different vision than his father. Well, Omni was looking to expand at a more or less a a moderate pace. He wasn't looking to gallop ahead of himself and and put himself in positions where he's just has little frontiers in the the vast cosmic scape. Endurus didn't care. He wanted to take it all as much as he could, as long as he could, you know, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. He wanted to make a name bigger and better his father. And of course, when your father has a planetary empire and beginnings of a, a system-wide empire, you got to do bigger and better than that. So it's it's became a very strong drive in him to just conquer, 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 conquer. And he became a very hated and despised ruler because everything went into the military effort. Everything was very regimented and controlled. He became more tyrannical in his approach to where he did things. He just he didn't necessarily always want to rule. He just wanted to conquer and take new land and take new territory. And that, while that was seen maybe as a good thing initially, as the years went on and the wars didn't stop and the army kept getting bigger and bigger and everything kept was, you know, being taken to fuel the army and fuel the efforts, it, it began a very tiresome thing for the population. And, of course, the same situation happened to him as it happened to Omni. When you leave these groups of people on these separate planets or areas of planets where they're free to think and live and develop 
as they choose because they're so far removed from the, the, the center of the empire, then you're going to have issues, you're going to have schisms, you're going to have fights, you're going to have all these things going on, and that's what took place with him. He just was always, you know, he, he developed some things, built some things, and then he had to go in and, and set the record straight again, so to speak. He had to, you know, put put down the sword, kill some people, crush some resistance, and so on and so forth. And that just made him even less of a popular leader, and he made him even more resented in general. And what made it even worse was that there wasn't a large stability for him as far as his uh, lineage goes. He was so dedicated to conquest and building this empire, making it bigger and better, and all that kind of stuff, that he didn't always take time to think about siring a lineage or providing a future for his his line to continue. And that was giving some people talk of, oh, hey, there might be an opportunity here because, you know, it's not that well secured. Whereas other people before him, namely Adon and Omni, had multiple sons, multiple children. He only had three sons. And the eldest of which was a decent person. The second one was eh, kind of iffy. And the third one wasn't really thought of much. In, 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 thought of as more as scholarly and not really rulership potential. And so what he decided to do after these uprisings and things started taking more and more of a toll, he realized he really should begin to get these things under control and bring some things in line as far as establishing a lineage and, and securing his throne on you know, a couple different fronts. One of them was securing a, a person to take it after him, a successor. And this was his eldest son, Nidal. Nidal was like basically what you think of the quintessential replacement for his father. He was very similar in a lot of ways. They, they shared a similar mindset. They were very uh, beneficial to each other. And that pleased Endurance to no end. Then you had Agri. Agri was the second oldest. He was seen as, he was decent, but he was more of like the schemer, the more of the plotter kind of guy, more of the, the, the politician, which didn't really sit well with his father, who didn't think he would be a good successor for him. And then you had Vicar, who was the third and the last child, last son, I should say, excuse me. He was seen as kind of more of like a scholar. He was actually what was coming at that point in time, uh, known as a lord, a titan lord. And I'll talk a little about that in a second here. But he was he was focused on learning more about the cosmos and learning more about scholarly pursuits. And that just didn't really seem a successful way to rule the empire as far as Endurus was concerned. So he never really put a whole lot of stock in Vicar, but he did want to put some effort in him because, again, he only had three sons. So he wanted to have a failsafe here in case, you know, one or two fall short. He wants to have one at least suitable to take the throne and rule after him. And that's what he would do for the rest of his reign. And it would be a very bloody reign, as I said, because he would be constantly at war, constantly fighting. And there'd be a lot of challenges with his absentee rulership that allowed for corruption and problems with the economic situation and just basic things that you would think should be run and taken care of just get put by the wayside or delegated to people that weren't effective in implementing what needed to be done or even caring about what needed to be done. So more and more people grew discontent. And of course, he was already tyrannical to begin with. It just He grew even more so, which was not a winning combination for, for anyone involved. And ultimately, that would bring about his downfall, which we will talk about in the next episode. 
But I want to wrap things up this episode by talking about one of the major developments that would continue to be a just a big factor in the history of this lineage and leading into the beginning of the Trilodron pantheon as well, and even Trilodron itself. This would be the formation of what I mentioned earlier called the Titan Lords. And these would be the continuation of the ways and thinkings and, and scholarly pursuits of the mystics of old. The mystics, as you might remember from previous episodes, began as more of a shamanic or spiritual type of being who was interested in learning more about the cosmos and learning about more about the cosmic entities and the, and the cosmic elements and trying to figure out their place and how everything works together. Eventually, they had a split, one taking more of a scholarly, we might say more in the modern sense, uh, wizardly direction, and the other looking more of a theoretic, uh, theocratic, excuse me, or priestly type of concept, and that became the priests. And they would worship the cosmic entities. The mystics would go on to try and master the cosmic elements and try and figure out how to use them, manipulate, control them, and so on and so forth. And they found that the more they studied them, the more they got into them as the generations increased, they actually had a means to interact and use them. And they began the development of the fundamental concepts and aspects of what would later be called magic. And that would be what they would impart to the larger cosmos as a whole that would have a major, major effect on the history and the development of not just the Titans, but all of the cosmos and even Trilodron in general. Now, the Titan Lords were different than the mystics, as the mystics were more of like a general approach to learning about the cosmic elements and, and coming to learn, you know, interact with them, use them, cast spells, whatever, that kind of thing. The Titan Lords were called Lords because they were Lord of a certain element. You took the 16 different elements, the cosmic elements, and they each decided to focus on one. And that was what they gave their, their life to, and they became very very apt and able to control that cosmic element, each generation more and more so, and in effect, basically becoming a quote-unquote lord of that element. They were not initially a very large group of people, but as things progressed, as the learning increased, as they learned in more knowledge, because as Endurus kept conquering more territory, they learned new things. They're able to go out to the, the frontiers, they're able to study, they're able to get insight from other people across a different growing uh, system-wide empire and just increase exponentially from there. Now, obviously, Endurus wasn't a big fan of them because he saw their rising ability as something either he could control or be used against him, and he couldn't always use it for his means, so he was always kind of leery about these people in general, but they were tolerated for the most part except during times of revolt and, and uprising, which were more and more frequent, like I said, during the latter portion of his reign. But that's kind of the history of where we are with the Titan Lords. And as more prominent people would come into their position and, and learn from them, it would spread into more higher levels of the empire and began to lead people down different thought processes of what might be a better way for the future of the empire, or even just the Titan race in general. And that's where I'm going to call it quits today for this particular episode. Thank you again for listening. I do appreciate it. And if you had any questions or comments or anything you wanted to share with me about any of this we've been learning about on these episodes and this podcast in general, do feel free to send me an email at lore, L-O-R-E, at chadcorey.com. That's C-H-A-D-C-O-R-R-I-E dot com.
This podcast is copyright Chad Corey, all rights reserved.